the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You don't have to be famous. No, but we can turn someone who isn't famous into a famous person by presenting them with this award, and everybody and anybody is eligible. And now, it's time for The Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Of course, as usual, there were lots of uh, good famous candidates, uh, politicians, media, but this week someone named Irene Byon, B-Y-O-N, snatched it away with an unbelievably stupid decision. Uh, Irene is the producer at MSNBC who told a freelance cameraman to follow the Rittenhouse jurors' bus when it left the courthouse in Kenosha the other night. Now, how long do you have to be in the news business to understand the importance of maintaining the anonymity of jurors? I mean, come on. Maybe she was trying to impress her boss, though, or maybe uh, her boss could be a little bit nervous about the ratings being in the toilet, which is where they've been for a long time. Maybe uh, he thought, or he or she thought, that promising some nice pictures of the jurors as they got off the bus and headed for their cars would get the numbers up a little bit. Well, what it got was MSNBC being barred from the courtroom. The judge kicked them out. Somebody at MSNBC released a statement, and it said, quote, Last night, a freelancer received a traffic citation. While the traffic violation took place near the jury van, the freelancer never contacted or intended to contact the jurors during the deliberations and never photographed or intended to photograph them. Right. It was a coincidence. A guy hired by the network for something else, apparently, just happened to get behind the bus that was carrying the jurors and doing it secretly, and then he decided to run a red light trying to keep up with the bus that he didn't care about taking pictures of. Now, we don't know who's responsible for that statement, but we, know, but we do know who gave the order, and that would be Irene Byan. And don't try to find Irene anywhere on social media, by the way. She scrubbed all her accounts. She's hiding. But I'll bet she'll come out for the presentation of the Windows R Us Jerk of the Week Award. The Jerk of the Week is brought to you by Windows R Us, Pittsburgh's premier exterior replacement company. Expert repair and replacement for windows, roofs, siding, doors, gutters, and downspouts. Why pay double? Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. As I said, the media provided a boatload of jerks uh, this week with their coverage of the Rittenhouse trial. And when we come back, we might mention a few in our discussion with Jeff McCall, one of our favorite guests. He's a professor of communications and a media critic. And in our second half hour, we're going to give you some uh, shocking numbers about the Build Back Better Act. Then again, maybe they won't be all that shocking. Stick around. I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. 
Enjoy. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. Offer valid through 123121. All with 12 months no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty. Warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsrpittsburgh.com. That's windowsrpittsburgh.com. Have you heard? Rodents are taking over. According to various news articles, recent COVID-19 related disruptions have caused abnormal behavior in rodents, making them become more aggressive. Don't let your home or business be invaded with a disease-carrying rodent infestation. Keep them away with plug-in pest-free. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-in Pestfree. Using the active wiring in your home or business, Plug-in Pestfree goes to work keeping rodents and pests away the more humane way without using toxic poisons or other harsh pesticides. Just plug it in. It's that simple. Now that's fair income. Stop the infestation and order yours today at gopestfree.com and receive a free hand sanitizer pen with every order using promo code PEN. That's go pestfree.com promo code P-E-N go pestfree.com promo code PEN don't spray and regret plug in and forget Rob tried to manage his constipation with belly pain discomfort and bloating day after day after realizing it was irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC, he found another way and finally said yes to adding Linzess. Linzess, or linaclotide, is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than two years old. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Talk to a doctor today. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at Linzess.com or call 1-800-LINZESS. Sponsored by Abbey and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. This is the John Stackerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. If you were listening to the opening of the show, you know that an MSNBC producer walked away with the uh, very uh, prestigious Windows R Us Jerk of the Week Award. But we had a lot of really good candidates to choose from before we settled on her. The media did what you've probably come to expect them to do in the coverage of the Rittenhouse trial. Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University. He also writes, uh, uh, he's a critic for, a media critic for The Hill and FoxNews.com. And he joins us now. Jeff, good to have you back on. Thanks for coming. Thank you very much, John. So, uh, I, you know, you're a perfect guy for me to talk to uh, now that this is, well, it's, I, it's kind of over with now that the verdict is in. But um, we have to start with our, our Jerk of the Week winner, Irene Byon is her name, B-Y-O-N. She's the MSNBC producer who apparently gave the order for a freelancer to follow the bus carrying the jurors away secretly from Kenosha. Uh, do you think that was desperation for ratings or just stupidity or maybe both? <laughs> well, the, the ratings are really bad, so maybe they are desperate for ratings. But I put this in the category of just really being unprofessional and really kind of uh, ignorant totally of the way the criminal justice system is supposed to work and why our judicial processes are supposed to be free of media influence. Because, you know, who knows what they were going to do with the information. It's one of those things where... You know, the dog's chasing the car. What do you do if you catch the car? I, you know, who knows? But what were they going to do if they followed the bus and took pictures or found out who the jurors were or where they're staying or whatever? But the bottom line here is this is totally unprofessional. There's no particular need for them to know what, uh, who the jurors are or where they're going or to follow them, particularly to 
break uh, traffic laws while doing it. Uh, but I think it shows kind of um, a, a, a kind of a media ignorance of kind of the process that's supposed to be in place, but also a media elitism, which I think is worth noting, too, that these people sitting in their MSNBC towers think that they're so important that they can play fast and loose with the way the criminal justice system is supposed to work and tamper with it is what it basically is uh, in a way to serve their own you know, media interests as opposed to the interests of the judicial process or the interests of, of the society. And I, that media elitism, I think, is a very dangerous trend we see in society today, that these media outlets think that they're so important that they can play fast and loose, that the rules don't apply for them, that they can push ethical boundaries and not be held accountable. And, you know, oddly, it's, it's the, the ultimate price. And kind of on a micro level, it's the jurors who pay the price. It's the judge who pays the price. It's the people involved in the criminal trial who pay the price. And these guys are sitting there getting paid tons of money by MSNBC to, to think that they're really important. Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting point, a good point, um, because, uh, you know, I, I asked if, you, if it was stupidity or desperation, but uh, it, it, I'm, I should have included the word arrogance, maybe. Uh, that would be yeah. a better explanation. But, you know, if, if you are, if it, you would think, and especially someone like you who teaches kids uh, in school and college how to work in the media, that someone who's reached the level of being a producer at MSNBC with the power to do what this producer did, it's really hard to imagine that she wouldn't know that that was not the right thing to do and just yeah. and then just did it anyway. They're clearly being uh, self-righteous and pompous. And it thumbs everything the media industry is supposed to do because they're supposed to be surrogates for us. And what is it that they're going to report? What is it that they would actually report if they, if this producer and this guy following the jurors found anything? What are they going to add? Are they going to like go to Joy Reid and say, "Oh, this bus turned right on you know State Street" or what? I mean, what are they going to report? There's nothing. There's no news to be had by following that bus uh, that would be necessary in the public sphere. Yeah, but there's uh, only there the only thing that makes it valuable to MSNBC is pictures. It's television. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the only thing that makes it valuable. So, and I don't know if this guy was an actual. They keep saying he's a freelancer, but I don't know if he was carrying a camera. But I assume he was. And, well, and it, but if he's a freelancer, even if he's taking orders from MSNBC, at a certain point, MSNBC is totally responsible for that guy. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. And I don't blame him at all. He's he's looking for a paycheck. You know, it's not his. Well, yeah, problem. He's, he's probably getting paid peanuts while the executives at MSNBC are making a lot of money off of yeah. his legwork. Yeah. Now, now CBS News put out a tweet uh, earlier in the week uh, that said it was just you know kind of an innocuous thing, uh, just kind of reporting on what the trial was about. But what the tweet said was that Rittenhouse was on trial for murdering two people. They they eventually. Uh, uh, deleted that tweet, but again, you're a, are, are they are they using ink, interns to send out tweets? I mean, who would who wouldn't know that that if you work in the news media that you don't refer to somebody who's on trial for murder as a murderer? Yeah, um, yeah, they, they could be held liable for that actually. Uh, and and my guess is Kyle Rittenhouse is going to get some lawyers lined up to go after a lot of these media organizations oh, that so. have, yeah. have labeled him and stereotyped him and falsely reported on him over, over the last year, actually. And, I mean, they might just say, well, th these were false th things that we didn't know at the time, but it's kind of like, it's your job to get it right. Uh, and in many cases, he was actually labeled. And I think that's the word, that, the, the weirdest thing is that they were calling him vigilante, for example. They suggested that he might be a white supremacist and all that kind of stuff. President said that, yeah. There, there was no evidence anywhere along the line that he was any of those things, but it certainly was kind of a before-the-fact attempt to try to influence uh, the, the legal surroundings of the case before it even went to trial. And as far as I know, nobody's ever found out that he's you know, a secret no. you know, member of some supremacist group or something like that. But you know, all of the uh, labels about him carrying an illegally acquired gun and that sort of thing, when we know now that it was not illegally acquired and that he actually 
legally had the right to possess that gun. I mean, by the way, this is separate from whether it was a good thing for him to be walking around with that gun, but it wasn't illegal. And that's what the reporting was about. And, you know, when you really think about it, there's a whole whole long list of things that ended up in the public sphere reported as fact that we know just was totally uh, baseless. You know, like, oh, he just picked Kenosha out of the blue, that he had no reason to ever go there, that he drove across state lines like he was on some cross-country journey, when actually where he lives in northern Illinois is really only, what, 15 or 16 miles from Kenosha. for So it's not like he drove 10 hours to get there, that he had family living in the area, and that he had worked in the area. So it's not like he picked Kenosha, like, oh, I think I want to drive across the country to go make a scene. Uh, And all that disinformation was really unhealthy and the kind of stuff that any sensible news editor or producer could have known easily enough well before the trial if they'd done any homework at all. And I think that's the saddest thing for me is this shows that media organizations were creating narratives out of thin air without doing any of their homework or any of their legwork to try to, you know, look for facts. And I mean, you know, I I teach media and uh, journalism here and I always talk to students. Do your research, do your homework, find out the facts, and let the facts lead the story. And what we've had here was a case where particularly the left-wing media created the narrative, and then they tried to look for stuff to plug into the narrative, whether it was factual or not, and that's just so totally contrary to everything professional journalism should be. Although, as you and I have talked before, kind of the era of professional journalism is dissipating very quickly. Yeah, well, I call it wishful thinking journalism. That's my, uh, it's, yeah. you already, you know how this, you'd like the story to turn out, so you're going to do everything you can to make sure that the story uh, turns out the way you want it to, not the way it actually is. It's it's pretty sick, actually. Um, and, and by the way, Going across state lines, I, I tweeted, and this won't mean anything to you because you're out out, out there in the Midwest uh, in Indiana. But but I tweeted that this kid going to uh, going across state lines is we live in an area here in Pittsburgh called the tri-state area, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's Ohio and West Virginia and Pennsylvania. We're all you know jammed together here in a little corner of Pennsylvania. It's like this guy leaving Moon Township to go to Steubenville. Uh, because his dad worked there and he had friends there and, and the buildings were on fire and he went there to help out. Uh, yeah. and, 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 and people go from Newark into New York City every day. They cross state lines to do evil business, some of it. And how does that what, – so what? Yeah, well, see, you're talking about nuance and putting things in context. Yeah. But if you, if you were watching CNN in the last year, they would not have provided any of that context. They no. would have made it look like, oh, this guy crossed state lines to go to, you know, to go, uh, confront rioters and to be, you know, a political activist. And, and thinking, well, number one, so what if he did? But the other thing is, this was not a reach. This was not a stretch. It was not that far for him to go. And... You know, he had not acquired the, the firearm illegally either, which was part of the narrative. And I think where you talk about wishful thinking narratives, there you go. Yeah. People, oh, this is great to say that we had an illegally acquired rifle, uh, and that fits our uh, gun lobbying kind of issue, uh, you know, or anti-gun kind of issue mm-hmm. real well. So we can just plug that in the narrative. And then even in the court when it comes like, well, no, that wasn't an illegal weapon, and he had a right to possess it, and the, the judge threw it out, and I'm thinking, how did they even get that on the docket for the trial in the first place? Well, if you and we're talking to Jeff McCall, he's a professor of communications at DePaul University. If you're grading, if, if these if these people are your students in a class, what's their grade? Okay, well, it's awful, and I mean, I, I've got to say that uh, I always tell students if if they're if they're working on a report uh, and they turn it in and there's a factual error in it, it automatically gets failed, right? So you, you, because you can't ever progress as a reporter if you've got stuff that's wrong in there. Number mm-hmm. one, it's unethical. Number two, it's sloppy. But number three, it's potentially libelous in many cases, as we've seen in the case, you know, of uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. But I mean, that that's kind of like strike three. You're out, and you just can't afford to turn in stuff that's inaccurate. And I always tell students if, if it's if you don't know. Either confirm it or leave it out, but don't report something that turns out to be wrong. But but that's that's been the case 
for any number of things over the last couple of years. Think of how that Covington Catholic High School kid, Nick Sandman, was portrayed as a racist. Yeah. And, how, and, and think of how this, the media bought that Jesse Smollett thing and how crazy that was. But they bought that, even though that was totally wrong. More they wishful thinking. That is accurate. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we've talked about the Russia collusion narrative that went on for two years. Mm-hmm. That turned out to be totally erroneous. And, uh, but that was all pushed out there in just the same way. Now, I, I have a few minutes left here. I've got about five minutes left, but I want to make sure I get to this. Um, I came across what I think is a pretty disturbing story today on a site that I had never heard of before. It's called mintpressnews.com. And the report, and it's backed up with all the numbers, it says that Bill Gates has given $319 million to media outlets. Now, that's his right. Uh, he can do if it's if he's not breaking the law, he can give his money to anybody he wants. But what about the ethics of outlets like NPR, PBS, The Atlantic, even CNN, accepting money from a guy with an agenda and then having that affect their their coverage of whatever? Yeah, this is an interesting uh, report, and um, you know I think probably we need to scrutinize a little bit more about the background of the website and the reporter. But let's just say at face value. Uh, and by the way, it looks pretty thoroughly reported uh, as presented on their website. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so let's look at that and say, okay, let's, there's something to it. Let's take it on face value. Uh, here's the thing I would say. You're, you're right. Bill Gates has a foundation. They can throw money wherever they want to. But having said that, this is not philanthropy, in my opinion, when they're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to various media outlets. This is not philanthropy. This is influence peddling. Uh, and you also notice that there was no money granted by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to Newsmax or Salem Media. No, I didn't see okay? those names in the list there. No. Because the, the money is based on ideological litmus tests. Mm-hmm. And, to get, and to get more money, those organizations will need to stay on their ideological track. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting thing. And, and also, they were giving money, grants, to for-profit media organizations. You notice that NBC Universal got oh, yeah. a big yeah. $4 million CNN grant. CNN got $3.6 million. Yeah. Yeah, and think about this. CNN is a profit-based organization, and CNN is a profit center for, for a mega corporation. CNN is owned, a lot of people don't know this, but CNN is owned by Warner Media, which is a branch of AT&T. Mm-hmm. And CNN brings in about a billion dollars a year in profit for Warner Media. Now, do you think an organization that makes a billion dollars in profit every year needs a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to do reporting? And this is what it says in the report you cite. For reporting on gender equality and the inequalities endured by women and girls across the world. Do you think CNN needs a $3 million grant from Bill Gates to do reporting on gender inequality. If CNN wants to do that, they could cut a little bit out of their $1 billion profit margin and hand it over for that kind of reporting. They do not need the money, and this is totally influence peddling by Bill Gates. And you also might notice some of the other projects uh, were funded the not-for-profit philanthropic organizations, including universities, including Harvard University. Mm -hmm. And think of how many billions Harvard has in its endowment. Yeah. Harvard does not need money from Bill and Melinda Gates, except for that they want influence. And I think that's all this is about. But I'm, I'm really disappointed to see so many of these media organizations with their hands out. Because what are the chances that any of these outlets like NPR or these public radio places are going to do a negative story on the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, even, even if it were discovered that they were crooked or something like that? They would never do a report on those guys because they know it would cut off their money flow. That's pretty scary, and it, but but it's it's uh, and I only have about thirty seconds here, Jeff. But uh, a, a bigger light needs to be shown on this if this is true, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I hope that this gets some legs and that people will start talking about it uh, because this is you know kind of the dark side of of philanthropist money going to push ideological causes. And again, they're welcome to do it because it's their money. But I think people should at least be exposed, and also people need to know that these media outlets are not necessarily middle-of-the-road journalistic outlets. They're, they're paying to the piper uh, who's pushing ideology. Hey, Jeff, always good to have you on, and a perfect guy to have on today, and I hope you have a nice Thanksgiving, and we'll talk again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. Okay, that's uh, Jeff McCall, and we will be right back. 
With SRN News, I'm John Scott. A Wisconsin jury has acquitted Kyle Rittenhouse on all charges in his murder trial. Rittenhouse pleaded not guilty to two felony counts of first-degree recklessly endangering safety, first-degree reckless homicide, and first-degree intentional homicide, and attempted first-degree intentional homicide, claiming he shot three men, two fatally, in self-defense during a 2020 protest. The charges stemmed from the fatal shootings of Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber and a shooting that left 27-year-old Gage Grosskreutz wounded. During his testimony, Rittenhouse said he shot all three men with an AR-15-style semi-automatic rifle in self-defense. Bernie Bennett reporting. Pregnant women with COVID-19 face increased chances for stillbirths compared with uninfected women. That's according to a report from the CDC released today. Experts say it shows the importance of vaccination. The Dow is down 257 points, but the NASDAQ is up 83. This is SRN News. You were lied to in buying a timeshare and worn out? You need my help. Hi, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started the timeshare cancellation industry by exposing the ugly truth about timeshare and giving folks the straight facts. I've been fighting the timeshare giants ever since, so no one knows this industry better than me and my team. Today, we have 383 employees and have saved our clients an average of $65,000 in lifetime payments. Imagine putting those timeshare dollars back in your pocket. If you were told in a timeshare presentation that this was available today and today only, that timeshare was a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, call my office now. I guarantee if we take you as a client... We will cancel your timeshare or you'll pay nothing. Call now for your free information kit. 800-969-5511. 800-969-5511. 800-969-5511. Dennis Prager explains another difference between the right and the left. If you actually meet people on the right and meet people on the left, and you are a good person, you will end up on the right. It's that simple. There are simply more good people in that arena certainly more happy and more grateful people the dennis prager show weekdays at noon right before sebastian gorka at three on am 1250 the answer if you're with verizon at&t or t-mobile you're paying too much for your wireless service because pure talk gives you the exact same 5g coverage as one of those big carriers on the exact same network but saves the average family over 800 dollars a year And Pure Talk doesn't lock you into an overpriced, unlimited data contract. Why pay for data you don't need? Instead, get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. And switching is so easy. You can keep your phone and keep your number. Or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. So what are you waiting for? Start saving today. Go to puretalk.com, type in your address to find the coverage at your home, then enter promo code HALFOFF, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code HALFOFF. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. 11 weeks of college football Saturday night in the books. We had a great one at Wake last weekend. This weekend for week 12, Mike Golick, let's head down to Tuscaloosa. Let's do it. And while most are looking forward to the Alabama-Georgia SEC championship game, Nick Saban is saying, not so fast, my friends. We need to take care of business, and that means they need to take care of Arkansas. Join us Saturday at 3.30 right here on your home for college football Saturday night, powered by Learfield. AM 1250 and FM 92.5, The Answer. WPGP, Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. And in Pittsburgh, it's hard to believe it's that time of year again, but the light up the night closures are taking place at 4th Avenue, right between Stanwyck Street and Grant Street. The Parkway East inbound barely moving right between Wilkinsburg Forest Hills and Edgewood Swissvale. A five-minute delay through it. Inbound again delays 2nd Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Outbound delays the Boulevard of the Allies to Edgewood Swissvale. The Parkway West inbound barely moving Carnegie to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Outbound delays the Parkway Center Drive to Carnegie. I'm Ann Evans, and that's a look at your traffic. AM 1250, the answer, weather. We'll see partly cloudy skies for tonight. It'll be cold with a low of 25. Tomorrow, some sunshine, then increasing clouds. The best day of the next several for early holiday travelers. Expect a high tomorrow of 48. Tomorrow night, considerable cloudiness, low 37. We'll see periods of rain for Sunday with a high of 45. With your AccuWeather forecast, 
I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, uh, the Democrats are thrilled with the passage of the Build Back Better Act. Lots of free stuff for everybody. And as usual, they hope that turns into votes. It's $1.7 trillion, I think. I've kind of lost track of the numbers. But uh, uh, And Robert Rector is an expert on domestic policies at the Heritage Foundation. And he's here to tell you that it means $74,600 per poor family. Uh, Robert, thanks for being here. Thank you. So is this a raise for poor families then? Yes, absolutely. It's also not $1.7 trillion. It's, in fact, the largest increase in the in the welfare system in U.S. history. It, it's larger than the war on poverty. It's larger than Obamacare. And they conceal the cost by basically the, that the, the costs are supposed to be over 10 years, but what they do is artificially terminate these programs midstream and then say, oh, look, they don't cost that much. Uh, I, I'm not very familiar with programs that they get started and then somehow they end. The, the intention is not to end them, but to conceal the actual cost. And if you just look at the the means-tested welfare, that is programs that are targeted toward low-income people like food stamps and housing and, and cash grants, um, there it's if you extended this out over 10 years it's two and a half trillion just on that part of this bill alone it is as I said the largest increase in welfare spending ever in US history I'm taking that all the way back to the beginning of the 20th century um, and and the the irony is that this is actually hundreds of billions of dollars piled on top of a welfare state where we already spend $1.2 trillion a year providing cash, food, housing, medical care, and social services to poor and low-income people. And when you look at that, what you see is, for example, for a family that the government defines as poor, um, they currently, without this increase, they currently have about $44,000 a year in cash, food, housing, and medical care free that comes from the government. And then they have some social services. And then they also have about twenty-two, $23,000 a year in free public education. Now, that's not means tested. It's sort of outside welfare. But altogether, the taxpayer is providing, to, on average, to each of these uh, so-called poor families, $65,000 in various benefits and services that they don't pay for. And then on top of that, they do have their, their own earnings on average, which comes to about $18,000 a year. So the average poor family, as identified by the government, already has $83,000 a year in total resources, both private and public. But Four out of five of those dollars come right from the taxpayer. And this is going to pile another eleven, twelve thousand dollars on top of it. So the the government assistance alone is going to come to around seventy six thousand. Total income is going to be in the mid nineties when you get through with this. And one could reasonably ask the question: Well, how is it that the government defines a family that has eighty three thousand dollars in resources, including close to fifty five, fifty six thousand in cash, food, housing, and medical care? How are they poor? And the answer to that is that the government hides the welfare state out of all of those resources. The government, when it goes to define poverty, only counts about three thousand out of that sixty-five thousand as uh, as resources uh, as income for purposes of counting poverty and when it does that it basically hides the entire welfare state it pretends it doesn't exist and then they come back and say oh my goodness we these people are in dire need because you didn't count any of their actual income including their earnings and therefore we have to spend more and they've been doing that for about a half a century now the real irony of this two and a half trillion dollars that they now want to spend is not one penny of that would be measured as income for purposes of measuring poverty in the f in the future. So this is a, a game the taxpayer can't win. It's sort of like a hamster running in a running wheel. No matter how fast the hamster runs, he never goes anywhere. According to the way the permanent government counts these things, no matter how much the taxpayer spends on welfare and assistance and free housing, free food, free medical care, 
it never has any effect on the poverty rate. You still have the same number of poor people or more if they work less in response to all the stuff that they're given. The taxpayer can never win. And this is another thing. They're going to spend all of this money, largest increase ever, and in about three or four years, they're going to come back and say, hey, look at all these poor people. We have to spend even more. They've been doing this for about 50 years. It's amazing that they can get away with this, but they do. So uh, there's a it's something called the official poverty report. Yes, right. And um, and uh, the census uh, has something to do with it. So right. uh, people, uh, you, you've just made the case for why the numbers the federal government uses for measure, measuring poverty are, are important. They're completely but, meaningless, but it's the basis for which most news reports are written about welfare and poverty, is that report which is issued every year. Every time you see a statistic about poverty in the United States, it comes out of that report. And the main one clear thing to understand about it is when it's talking about the income that poor people have, public housing is not income, food stamps are not income, cash grants from the earned income tax credit. Uh, the government runs over 90 programs to assist poor and low-income people. Out of those 90, only three are counted, okay? It's not trying to reveal the resources they have. It's trying to hide them. And so why are they doing that? Because the, they, if they can, if they can um, produce more poor people, they can ask for more yeah. money? Absolutely. It's been going on since the, in, since the early 70s when they first brought the food stamp program online as a nation, national program. And moderates said, okay, well, this is interesting. You're giving these people a considerable amount of, of basically free food coupons. This should reduce the poverty rate. And, and the establishment in the left said, no, no, no. That doesn't count as income. It, it's off the books. And then they have all this housing aid. He says, well, that should reduce the poverty rate. No, 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 it doesn't count. Then we have this thing called the Earned Income Tax Credit, which pays up to like $6,000 in cash out every single year. Is that income? No, 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 it's not. And you can go down the whole range of the welfare state, any program that you would mention, it's not counted as income when they measure either poverty or inequality, and then they come out in all the mainstream media and said, look at all the poor people in the United States. Look at how unequal things are. But the reality is we already spend roughly $1 out of every $20 that's spent in our economy is actually going to welfare programs for low-income and poor people. And I'm not including Social Security and Medicare in that number. And people don't know that because the government reports basically hide it. How do I know it? Because I go line by line through 2,000 pages of federal budget, and I, I know all these programs, and I know what we spent. And and the, the, the money does not get shipped off to the Cayman Islands. It's distributed to people in the U.S., it's, and it doesn't have that high administrative cost. We just give a whole lot of free everything to lower-income people, and then we basically pretend that we didn't do that. It's pretty strange. Um, uh, and, and our we've been Republic doing it. We've been doing it probably your whole lifetime. Yeah. Uh, are Republicans yeah. as guilty uh, of this as the Democrats? Are they they're uh, they're just as aware of it? Cowardly. Cowardice. Yeah. Yeah, they won't. Oh, 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 it's poor. We don't want to touch that. You know, um, for the Trump administration tried to do something about this and tried to get in in no state government in Pennsylvania, any place else. If you were to ask them, how much do you spend on assist various types of assistance to poor people? They can't answer that. If you were to say, well, let's take an average poor family, let's say a family with, with a couple kids. What do they get in assistance given that there are 90 different programs? They don't get all the programs at once, but there are 90 different programs. What do they get? On average, they can't answer that, and that's not an accident. It's it's not an accident because the the left basically has set up procedures so you don't count things. But also, it's not an accident that that Republicans really have never challenged this. <clears throat> when you so when you hear that, uh, I, I'll just pick a number. You know, how can a family of four live on eighteen thousand dollars a year? <laughs> That right. you, everybody goes. Oh, anybody who knows anything about what it costs to live these days thinks that's a ridiculously low number. But you're saying nobody really lives on that a number. 
Very few. Yeah. I mean, these are averages, so yeah. it doesn't mean that every poor person is getting the numbers, but these are the average. Half of the poor people are getting more than I'm saying. But the average poor family, this would be a family with, say, two adults in it and two kids, has about $44,000 a year in cash, food, housing, and then it has a bunch of medical care on top of that. And, um, and, and also the other thing about our system that no one knows is the way it's set up is if you, if you work, if there's someone in the family that works even, say, a 1,000 hours a, a year, that's about half time, uh, when you add that together with the benefits that they get, they will definitely have an income uh, of cash, food, and housing way up in the mid-20s or higher. Um, doesn't mean that they're walking on easy street in any sense, but the system is, is in fact designed to give people free education for their kids, free medical care for almost every family with kids down in, toward the bottom third of the population, and a whole bunch of cash food housing and housing, but there's an expectation that we want you, them to do some work in addition to that. And the other thing that this bill does is it does away with the work requirements. In 1996, uh, Bill Clinton led the, the push for reforming the welfare system, and the core to that was to say, we no longer want to be in the business of paying families not to work, to have no workers in the family, to be a non-married family where they spend decades with, with the mother uh, basically receiving welfare. Every child needs to have the example of at least one working adult in the household while they're growing up to help them connect to reality. And what the Biden-Pelosi gang is doing is reversing that welfare reform and going back to the procedure. They eliminate work requirements in major parts of the welfare state and go back to paying families not to work. And that's um, uh, a, a nice way to get votes by giving people free stuff? It's a nice way to appease the very left wing of, of the of the of the party, the very progressive wing. That wing of the party opposed Bill Clinton. It opposed welfare reform. It basically regards low income people as victims and asking them to do anything in exchange for whatever you're giving to them is is unfair, they think. So in this bill, the taxpayer has substantial new obligations to pay to provide all this new assistance, but the recipients have basically no obligations. The obligations that they have in the current law are basically are largely done away with and we go back to saying look we'll give you something and we're going to ask you for nothing in return the taxpayer has obligations the recipients has none and that's not only not fair but it's also harmful it's something you wouldn't do to your kid you wouldn't say to your child well you know you you've you dropped out of school you're doing drugs you're but don't worry i'm just going to give you a bunch of cash and you, you don't have to do anything in exchange for that you, you don't want to do that you want to to pe- to reward constructive behavior uh, and you want to say, look, if if you need assistance, we're here. I don't want to do away with this welfare state at all, but I want to say, I want it to be prudent. I want it to be honestly counted, and I wanted to say, look, we are going to give you assistance, but we expect you to. If you can't get a job right away, we're going to expect you to come down to the welfare office and do some training, or we'll we'll help you prepare your resume and stuff. That was the core of welfare reform 25 years ago, and it was dramatically successful in honestly reducing poverty. Uh, it caused teen pregnancy and teen births to to plummet because you send we're sending them a signal you can't just have a baby and, and we'll and basically remain on welfare for for 20 years it's a new day and and that caused an improvement in responsible behavior and the child poverty rate honestly measured which you you're never going to see these data but honestly measured with better government surveys shows that the poverty rate, for example, of single mothers dropped dramatically after welfare reform and has continued to go down for 25 years. It's now very low, but they don't want, they have opposed this idea of requiring or even urging recipients to do constructive things because it it violates their victim ideology. And so they want to go back to the worst of the old system, exactly the system that Bill Clinton was elected on 
remembering ending welfare as we know it. Well, Biden is restoring the worst of welfare as we knew it 25 years ago. Uh, I, I know this isn't exactly the same thing, but uh, a good example for me, uh, in the 70s I was starting out and I um, I was doing minor league baseball and in between seasons I had to collect unemployment. And I got mm-hmm. I got 75 bucks a week. I had to go down to the office in Sharon, PA, where I was working, and stand in line sometimes for 45 minutes or an hour, and then have some a woman there give me a dirty look and ask me what I've done to find a job. <laughs> now, if you go on unemployment, you get a, a money deposited in your bank account. You don't yeah, have to go anywhere. You, you don't even ever have to go into the into the office. Um, and I, I'm not sure so happy about the dirty luck. But I do know that particularly with programs where people tend to be dependent on them year after year after year, which is true for the types of programs that are being expanded here, food stamps and housing and these cash grant programs, that what you want to do is is really just have a positive message and say, look, if you can't feed your family, we we are definitely here to help you. Mm -hmm. If you can't find a job... We're not going to put you on the street. We are going to protect you. But in exchange for that, since you say you can't find a job right now, we want you to come down to the welfare office next week, and we'll we'll talk to you about different methods for doing interviews and for finding yep. jobs. That's not going to happen. And yeah, and, and, well, that that's what welfare reform did. And when yeah. it, when you did that, when you said, "Look, you have to do something in exchange for the free stuff we give you," all of a sudden the interest of people getting free stuff dropped by about fifty percent. It's like, well, <laughs> if I have to come down here to the welfare office three times a week, I might as well just take a job. Hey, Robert, and that's I'm, better for me. Uh, I'm I'm out of time. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, but I'm, I'm up sure. against a hard break here. Okay, uh, Robert Rector, some really good stuff there, and check him out at the Sig- uh, the Daily Signal and at the Heritage Foundation. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. Okay, we'll be back. can't breathe. This is David Horowitz. Those three words rocked the nation last year. The violence that came after George Floyd's death opened new fault lines in the American political landscape. David Horowitz's new book is entitled I Can't Breathe, How a Racial Hoax is Killing America. From Trayvon Martin and George Floyd to Michael Brown and Breonna Taylor, the Black Lives Matter movement has lied about each and every case. The new book, I Can't Breathe, explains why black lives really don't matter to the leaders of Black Lives Matter. You'll read about the goals of the BLM movement and how those goals have nothing to do with civil rights. The leaders of Black Lives Matter won't be satisfied until America is torn down and reimagined. This book tells how we can strengthen black communities and achieve freedom for everyone. Get the new book, I Can't Breathe, How a Racial Hoax is Killing America, by best-selling author David Horowitz. Available at Amazon or wherever books are sold. This Movember, here's to mustaches in all their glory. To the first, peach fuzz ones. The lopsided ones. The unexpectedly sexy ones. To the black, brown, and red ones. To the stately salt and pepper ones. To the ones grown by the men we love. The ones grown for the men we love. Those with us today and those never forgotten. A mustache in Movember is a powerful thing. It helps raise funds and awareness for men's mental health and suicide prevention, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. So rally a crew, friends, family, co-workers, and take on Movember together. And there are plenty of ways to get involved in Movember, even if you can't grow a mustache. Help us change the face of men's health. Go to Movember.com and let's get this hairy party started. That's Movember with an M as in mustache.com. Movember is a registered 501c3 organization. Attention! The United States government has instituted a program to give qualified workers up to $3,148 a month. Do you or someone you know suffer from a medical condition that makes it difficult to work? Are you between the ages of 45 and 62? Are you seeing a medical professional for this condition? And have you worked for at least five of the last ten years? If you answered yes to the questions, you may be eligible for up to $3,148 a month. Call the Disability Information Line now to see if you qualify at 800-811-1545. 
Get the benefits you deserve. Call the Disability Information Line now at 800-811-1545 to see if you qualify. The call is free and our agents are standing by. Call 800-811-1545 to see if you qualify for these government benefits. You've worked hard for these benefits. Don't let another day go by without receiving what you're entitled to. Call 800-811-1545 now. This is the John Stackerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Well, if you're unfortunate enough to have to travel by air over the next few days, uh, make sure when you go through the security that you wish them happy birthday. Uh, today is the Transportation Security Administration's 20th birthday. It came in after 9-11. Uh, and it's why I never want to fly on an airplane again as long as I live, unless it's private. You got a private jet, you want to take me somewhere, give me a call, I'll listen. I don't want to ever go to an airport again. I'm serious about this. I haven't been to an airport in about 10 years. The stupidity is what bothers me. Flying's fine. It's the airport that kills me. So there's a story here at Reason.com, and they're mentioning that it's the 20th birthday. And in the story, they point out that about 80% of the time, the TSA screeners fail to detect weapons. That's what they're there for. There was one case in Minneapolis where they checked. They missed them 95% of the time. So all the stupidity that you go through out there, the $8 billion a year that's spent on it, they're having uh, grandmothers take their shoes off because they think they might have a bomb in their shoe. It doesn't work. So and on their 20th birthday, Reason.com is saying, you know, how about just – canceling it and making this their last birthday uh do i how much time i got left mike okay good i got just enough time for this this is breaking news um i gotta finish with some breaking news here uh out of bethesda maryland while performing a routine colonoscopy on president biden doctors at the walter reed medical center made a surprising discovery inside the president's colon eighty-five thousand trump ballots at first, we were incredulous as to what the monitor showed, assuming it was another massive hairball similar to those we'd been seeing throughout the procedure, uh, said lead colonoscopologist Dr. Cole Collins. After I zoomed in and enhanced it, the picture clearly showed a massive Trump ballots that appeared to have been lodged in there for over 12 months. I demand an investigation, and I'll talk to you on Monday. John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.